Well, hello there. How is everybody today? You guys good? Okay, let me just get everything sorted over here. So we're carrying on with our series on Galatians. And last week, um, Steve spoke about the Kratos. Did I get that right? Guys, were you not impressed? The, the Kratos. <laughs> I can't roll my R's as well as uh, Steve can. And um, really, it is, was about the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel in our lives. The power in the gospel to transform. The power in the gospel to change our families, to change our circumstances. And this week, we're going to continue with Galatians. And we're going to start looking at the promise. The promise of the gospel. So I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, Galatians 3, 15, verse, uh, verse 15 to 23. It starts off like this. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, Here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. Verse 17. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be cancelled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. I like it. You guys are getting it. Verse 19. Why then? Why? Why was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. Verse 21. Is there conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right by us obeying it. But the scripture declares that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. So today is a very, very, very special day for attorneys. If you are an attorney, don't be shy. We promise we're turning over a new leaf. <laughs> Won't you raise your hand? Even a law practitioner. There's quite a few of you. Advocates. Advocates. There must be some. Yes, there's some advocates in the house. So honestly, we've, we've reflected long and hard upon this. And we, and we thought to ourselves, we cannot possibly be giving you guys the teasing and the abuse that you guys have been receiving over the last couple of years. So today, the 25th of February, from this day forward, shall be known as Advocates and Attorneys, double A, Appreciation, triple A, Day. Advocates, Appreciation, and Attorneys, Appreciation Day. Yes, let's give them a round of applause. Come on, don't be shy. We love you guys. We love you guys. You guys are the best. And in celebration of uh, Advocates and Attorneys Appreciation Day, we will be going through something that they absolutely love to do, which is go in-depth through contract law. <laughs> hey? 
Mexican wave from this side. <laughs> Woo! Come on, come on. Uh, the middle, you know, you always go, ah, you guys. But we're going to be going through contract law. Why? Because Galatians actually goes through two contracts. It goes through two agreements, two covenants that God made with mankind. And on the one hand, you have the promise. And then on the other hand, you have the law. Okay? And when you look at them at first glance, you think, wow, these things seem to be completely in opposition to one another. They don't look like they, they match. They look like the one is pretty hectic, and the other one seems to be just grace. Just grace. So the promise was given to Abraham without mediation, without an attorney present. No billable hours. Okay. That wasn't nice, eh? So hard. So hard. Without mediation, it was given as a promise spoken directly to Abraham. And then the law on this side was given to God's people through a mediator, Moses, 430 years later. And what did it do? It described a whole bunch of rules and circumstances and things that you had to fulfill in order for you to live right. So we're going to look at those two agreements this morning. So the promise. So normally a contract is established between two or more parties to basically try and enforce what are the enforceable rights of these two parties. If you're selling a house, what happens? You write up an agreement and say, well, if you give me this amount of money, then what happens? I will give you my house. Okay? Um, Let's, let's make another example. Maybe if you're going through uh, selling a business or, or, or a divorce, there's always that, that, that moment where you have to write down everything that has been agreed upon. For example, you will, you'll, you'll get the kids and I'll take the, the boat and the, and the jet ski, maybe. <laughs> I don't know, you know. Maybe that's a silly example. But, but something like that. And these are all known as cooperative agreements. We need to cooperate uh, with one another. So I need to actually do something, and, and then you need to give me something, and then we can fulfill the agreement. But the promise is not a cooperative agreement. The pro- the, we actually don't have something like the promise in our modern law. It's just a promise. I am going to give you this, Abraham. I'm going to give you this land. You will take possession of it. You will be blessed. I'm so disappointed my favorite lawyer, John, is not here today. <laughs> he normally sits right over there. But I was going to make him, uh, give him an example. So basically, the promise is, is like this. I promise to give you, Sophia, a thousand rand. What does Sophia have to do? Nothing. What does the promiser have to do? Everything. He has to give her the thousand rand for the promise to be fulfilled. There's no mention of any conditions required by Abraham. And today, in order for us to conclude an agreement, 
we typically have to write it down. And we do that in the presence of maybe a few witnesses. So the two parties will sign it, or the three parties will sign it, and then the witnesses will come along and they sign it. Now, in biblical times, they did things slightly differently. Okay, it was a little bit more kind of graphic. So what the two parties would do is they would get an animal, they would slaughter that animal, and they would then place the two halves facing each other. One on this side, and one on that side. And then what the parties would do, both of them, is that in a figure of eight, they would walk through the animal. Now, I don't have much space here, but I'm going to try and do it. Walk through the animal. And as they were walking through the animal, they would point at each of the pieces and they'd say, may it be done to me. May I be cut off. May I be killed if I break this agreement. And in Genesis 15, verse 7, this is three chapters on, after Abraham was given the promise, Abraham has a little bit of a wobble. He says to God, he's 100 years old now, and they've actually been living in the promised land for a while. He is super wealthy. He has almost uncountable number of sheep and goats and, and everything. He has servants, as far as the eye can see. But the one thing that he doesn't have is any sons. No one to take over the land. No one to go and possess the land. And he says this in a very honest moment. And if we can read it, Genesis 15. He says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of this land? God, you've told me this. You know, I'm 100 years old. Sarah ain't looking so frisky anymore. <laughs> or, or maybe I, I'm not looking so frisky anymore. I'm not feeling it in my bones. I don't know how I'm going to make this great nation. And so the Lord says to him this. He says what? Go bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And immediately Abraham spots what's going on. God is going to make an agreement with him. He is going to show Abraham that I am going to fulfill this promise. So Abraham brought these to him. And he cut them in half. And he arranged the halves opposite one another. And then as the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And a dreadful darkness came over him. And then we read that when the sun had set, and that the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch, the presence of God and the light of God, the very essence of God appeared and did what? Began to 
pass through the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Isn't that amazing? Who walked through the pieces? Only God walked through the pieces. Where was Abraham? He was asleep. He played no party. And in those days, it was incredibly unusual, incredibly unusual in order for just one party to walk through the pieces. God is saying that this is not a cooperative agreement. This is not something that you have a part in. This is a promise agreement that I'm giving you. And God is saying that I will fulfill this promise even if I have to be killed. And guess what? 2,000 years later, Jesus was killed. Many years later, a great darkness came over the world and Jesus was cut off from the land of the living. There is no stronger statement that we can see that stretches throughout the Bible that our salvation is only by the promise. It is only by the promise. So now we need to ask, well, what about the law? And Paul says it. So what about the law? You, you, you're saying, Kai, you're saying to me that all we need is the promise. That's all we need. What about the law? And at that point in time, I was just going to hospital pass it to Steve. <laughs> and if you can please explain the law to us, it'll be great. But Paul answers it, and he says, answers it incredibly simple, and, and I think sometimes we, we, we just gloss over it because we're like, yeah. it's just so simple. It says, well, the law was added to show us our sins. The law was added to show us our sins. So pre-law, and I learned this the other day, in the ancient world, they actually, we, we don't think about it very much because we've got all these laws and all these guidelines, we, these rules of the roads, which we typically don't like to follow, speed limits, etc. We know we need to do our taxes by the 28th. We know we need to do X, Y, and Z. So we kind of, like, we're very used to living in a land where there's a whole bunch of laws. But in the ancient days, or in the ancient times, there weren't actually a lot of laws. And when God came down and said, let me give these guys some rules. Let me give them some guidelines so that one, actually they don't go around kind of killing themselves, killing each other, taking each other's wives, running around. Why? Because it was actually pretty much bedlam back before there wasn't any laws. And God came and said, here, let me give you some guidelines. Let me give you some rules on how to live your life so that you as a community can coexist a lot better. Let, let me give you some guidelines to ensure that I'm actually, as a loving father, as a loving God, 
protecting you, protecting your people. Because laws are designed to protect. What they're not designed to do is save. They were never, ever meant to save. And to prove that point even further, coupled with the law, was a whole bunch of set of conditions that if you break it, this is what you must do to atone. This, if you break this law, this is how you cleanse yourself. So God immediately was calling our bluff and saying, I know you're going to break it. Therefore, this is how you're going to atone. So the law was given to show us our sins, to give us guidelines, a way of protecting mankind from itself. And thirdly, to say, see how utterly useless you are in terms of trying to save yourself. Look at your sin. Look at your sin. You're never going to be able to do it. You're never going to be able to do it on your own. Therefore, look only at the promise. Look at the promise. So to bring this home, yeah, I'm going to change over a little bit to this. And Denzel, you can come up. So my, my dad's not a believer. And for the longest time, I've really wanted him to be saved. As, as we want with all of our family that's, that's not saved. And my mom and dad, prior to last year, had been separated for almost 10 years. And really due to the actions of my father, my brother has dis- had disowned him. My sister doesn't have a relationship with him. And basically my, my dad just went up went away and kind of lived his life and did what he, what he did. And um, last year was really a year of attempted reconciliation for our family. So at the ripe old age of 79 and 82, in March 2023, my mom and dad moved back in together. How amazing is that? And, I mean, my brother hadn't seen my, my dad in 12 years. And my mom kept on saying throughout the year, wouldn't, wouldn't it be amazing if we spent Christmas together? Why don't we just try and spend Christmas together? And in late November, my brother phoned me up and he said, hey, what are you guys doing for Christmas? And I said, well, we had certain plans and we're going to actually spend it with Sam's family. He said, well, actually, we're going to be down in Cape Town, so... We want to spend it together with, with mom and dad. Will you guys come? And we're like, yeah, for sure. Let's do it. The promise. The promise. Two weeks before Christmas, I don't know if any of you were here, or probably some of you were here, but Marissa got up and shared this word of knowledge that I want to read. She said, for many of us, there is a heaviness or a dread hanging over our family get-together and an impossibility written over many scenarios. Based on the history of hurt and disappointment, but God has the final say. Even in those situations where impossible, impossible is written over our family situation, 
where it's so scattered, it's so dispersed, that even then, God has the final say. The promise, the promise. And I'd love to tell you that Christmas was amazing. It was an absolute disaster. There was hurt, brokenness, unreconciliation. Everything went wrong. And to make matters a hundred times worse, a few weeks later after Christmas, it kind of came out that my dad hadn't really ever stopped doing the things that led to all the brokenness and the hurt all along. And my mom and my dad got separated. So how do you deal with that? And God speaks to me. One of the ways he speaks to me is he speaks to me in in songs. And he gives me songs for seasons, songs to minister to myself, songs to minister to my, my family, and songs to minister to the church. And um, Sophie was listening to the song by Lauren Daigle called Rescue. And I will send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true, I will rescue you. And I will never stop marching to reach you in the middle of your hardest fight. It's true, I will rescue you. And I hear you calling underneath your breath. darkest night is true I will rescue you and then in preparing for worship I was overwhelmed by this version of he loves us and how they linked it to another song called jealous he loves us Oh, how He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. Oh, how He loves Dad, He loves you. Oh, how He loves you. Oh, how He loves you. Oh. I'll show you where they 
You'll see the grave is empty. Come touch my hands and come touch my side, and I'll show you where they laid me. You'll see the grave is empty. And the Lord saying to me the whole time, you could have prayed more, you could have done more. Maybe you should have taken that opportunity to share the gospel with your dad. None of this would have happened. And you know what the interesting thing is about these three songs that God gave me? Is that each one of them is written in six, eight time signature. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. All with a similar melody. all within a few beats per minute. And after God gave me those, I just sang them over and over and over and over again. He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. And I will send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true. I will rescue you And He loves And He loves us Oh, how He loves us Oh, how He loves us Oh, how He loves us So come touch my hands Come touch my stops it's always there it's melody it's constant throughout our lives and God said to me the promise the promise in the middle of your hardest fight I will rescue Amen.